Hello and welcome to Revenue Champions with me, Ryan Reisert. Today's episode is all about BDR management. How can you find the best talent? How can you get them up to speed? And how can you set your BDR up for a great career? We'll be examining the changing tide of business development with an expert. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Revenue Champions. Welcome to the uh, Revenue Champions first takeover podcast for me, Joe. I'm super excited to have you here today uh, talking about a few things. We're going to talk about hiring and managing BDRs and really the, the landscape of, uh, of outbound prospecting the way you see it here in 2022. And just looking at your background, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to have you on as a guest here. Uh, just to kick us off, Joe, for the listeners, do you mind if you just quick introduction, who's Joe and maybe a little bit more about Juro? What are you know, who do you serve and what's the problems that you solve over there? Just set some context for the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to to be here. So I'll, I'll start with myself. I, I've been in sales now for or sort of yeah, sales and, and revenue for around seven years now. Um, started off at a, a big company, um, Gartner, as a, as a BDR, went through their grad scheme there before moving into the world of, of startups. Uh, joined Juro back in, in September to lead their, their BDR team. And Juro is, so we describe it as an all-in-one contract automation platform. Um, essentially, we help legal teams and the other business teams that they enable, typically like sales teams, HR teams, to agree and manage contracts more efficiently and effectively. Um, all businesses have contracts. Um, they can be quite painful, as I'm sure everyone listening to this probably knows. And we may aim to make that process much smoother and much simpler. That's uh, that's 100% true. And the more advanced you get in your career, you start to get involved with being responsible for getting those contracts across the line, the more you realize how much that can be a pain. So that's yeah, awesome. Definitely. That you just have something that helps folks out. So uh, what, what is it about sales that gets you excited right now, uh, today? Yeah, right now. I, I think sales has has become a career that has a lot of opportunity for for everyone recently more so than it than it was um this is the biggest transition i've seen in, in my career is the like the rise in just remote roles and opportunity not just in in big cities and in tech hubs but but really everywhere and i i think this is really really exciting so for reps and for people who want to be in sales it means that there's really no limitations on the lifestyle that you can build um, everyone's known that the sales has always been a career where you can make a bit of, like, you can make good money, but being able to do that from anywhere and to be able to build your lifestyle around that, I think is a really exciting time for, for reps to get into the business. And from a management perspective, um, I mean, we've 10 X the talent pool. So <laughs> that's a, a really exciting trend for, for me at the moment is being able to explore what talent is available in, in lots of different places and, to really get the most out of what's uh, available in terms of people um, and give people fulfilling and exciting careers. Um, I think that coupled with that, we're seeing a lot of efforts to make it a more diverse and equitable place. Um, tech and sales has traditionally been not particularly diverse and I'm loving the efforts of, of some companies at the minute to, to really try and fix that problem and combine with the advent and rise of remote roles. I think we're we're on the way to to tech and tech sales becoming a really diverse and, and an opportunity for for everyone. You mentioned something that I think is interesting. There's 
they talked about the great resignation and announced kind of the great reshuffle and and you're seeing that must be this salesperson and you has this opportunity that's 10x the talent uh i like that perspective and uh certainly certainly tech sales is uh, is evolving quite quickly and this idea that you can get talent from anywhere remote is uh, a great transition to what we want to talk about today which is you know this uh this idea of hiring and and managing bdrs or sdrs or something drs xdrs <laughs> as they start to say it now um and and you've had an interesting journey joe because you've kind of gone up you were you're going that trajectory it looks like from that traditional role uh entry level role type of thing at gartner into account executive and then you even moved all the way up to leadership and maybe got away from sales for a minute with success and i still see that as sales but now you're back uh you're back to um uh the bdr team the bdr team management and your excitement here for 10x the talent what is it about the role of business development sales development that gets you so excited yeah what do you what do you enjoy about it so much yeah i think it's the evolution of the the business development or sales development role since i started doing it and you know, i started in what i would call a very traditional sales floor and i think there's a huge amount of value in people picking up the phone and making lo- and having loads of conversations but the evolution means that the SDR role is much more strategic now. And and I think that you're seeing people come from traditional careers, like if they're getting straight out of uni, perhaps five, six years ago, they would have gone into finance, they would have gone into management consulting, but they want to work in a startup and they love the idea of the opportunities that sales can provide to them. So you've got some really intelligent people entering the world of business and business development, sales development, and it's a role that's forever changing. I really like staying on top of all the different trends that are happening. And I think the community um, in sales development is really, really strong. You're starting to see it across revenue and go-to-market functions. But in sales development, the communities like SDRs of London, like I'm part of Pavilion, which is a more general revenue leadership. But everyone is always sharing ideas. Everyone is always sharing knowledge. And it is a constant and evolving learning journey. Um, and that I, I just love, it means that no two days are the same. It means that it it stays interesting consistently. And there's always different perspectives that I've never heard. I literally learn something new every day. Um, and in terms of, you know, why did I go up to, to sort of sales leadership, come into customer success and then decide to go and tackle BDR again? Well, from my own perspective, I had gone very broad and, I think because of that, I wasn't going really deep into learning a particular thing and I stopped learning as much as I was before. And that is one of the reasons that I sort of decided, right, which I've experienced quite a lot of different things in a revenue function now. What did I enjoy the most and where do I really want to specialize and focus? And the answer was in business development teams. Pipeline is king. I think it always will be and every business needs pipeline Um, and, and BDR teams are at the forefront of that. You just kind of hit on something that I think is it translates well into some of the things I'm seeing. You know, I'm seeing and I guess predicting and others are too, this idea that, you know, the SDR, the BDR is no longer a stepping stone. Yeah. You you are you are a part of this journey. It's no longer a stepping stone, but it's more of a a potential career role. Something that I can come in, be very good at. Look, you can attract talent from all these different areas that you might have missed out on before management consulting some of these that you mentioned before and and that might just be my career role you know there's definitely movement within that more senior positions leadership etc but 
is that something you're seeing as as well, or are we just unique unicorns over here just enjoying <laughs> the front the front work, the pipeline development? Yeah, I, I think it definitely is something I'm seeing. I would comment that it's something I've seen more when working for a US based business. I think they're a little bit ahead of the curve on long term careers in in sales development, particularly career um, you know, the the BDR or the SDR role being your your final point in your career or your long term goal. And that is because businesses are realizing that generating pipeline is somewhat to an extent as difficult, if not more difficult than closing pipeline. And that a BDR who creates you 20, 25, 30 opportunities a month is worth their weight in gold. And actually that they should be comped appropriately and rewarded the same as an account executive. And I think the the US and US-based businesses are ahead of that curve. In the UK, we're still seeing um, BDRs being the funnel for AE talent. Now, is that down to the fact that AE talent is scarce and good AEs are really hard to come by? They, again, are worth their weight in gold. And at Juro, what that manifests as is we find brilliant people to bring at the BDR in at the BDR level, and we're predictably promoting people in 12 months. So five of the last quarters, we've promoted a BDR every single time, and they've been with the business less than 12 months. That progression is I think primarily driven by the fact that finding great ease is really difficult, particularly in the UK and in, in Europe. And until that market for AE talent cools down a bit and there's more AEs than there are roles available, I think we'll continue, particularly in the UK and Europe, to see people taking that progression pathway. That being said, I think in terms of BDR leadership, definitely there's more opportunities than ever to lead BDR teams and to, to manage BDR teams. And for people who want to go into to leadership and to management, and they've got that in their background through something else, be it through playing sports or working in a different career for a little bit, there's huge opportunity there. We've just hired um, a BDR chap called Bill. He was a former professional basketball player, and he loved the leadership side of that. And an individual like him, I can definitely see stepping into a leadership role in the BDR position fairly swiftly, because that's something that he's got exposure to in his past experience. So you you think that the U.S. you've seen that the U.S. seems to be a little bit ahead of the curve in understanding the equal weight of uh, the challenge of revenue and you know whether it's generating the interest or closing the interest it's it's almost there uh, where in the U.K. you're seeing more of it still being a develop that bench of talent and mostly because there's a, a gap uh, in the A.E. talent. Um, which is which is interesting. I I personally have thought that the SDR role is a phenomenal way to get great talent into the organization, whether they're a bench for AE or maybe even other roles within the organization. Great great pathway to marketing, to product, um, to success. Um, all of those are are great entry points. Uh, our B, the BDR role is a great entry point into those roles, and talent talent is always challenging it feels like with the pandemic it's just it's happened everywhere it's not just getting entry-level talent it's across the board and so um the fact that you have something that you've created that has this predictable model the organization has and you're stepping into it um is are you still looking so when you're looking for hiring now are you still looking for those who have that potential to get into the ae or are you starting to think strategically around you know the potential to stay on board so you're not trying to replace every 
12 months, right? Because that can be kind of challenging too. How do you think about yeah. that? What are, you, what are you looking for when you're hiring? Yeah, we, we definitely still look for people who have the potential to be great AEs. Um, but I also look for people who in general are going to be valuable assets to the business. Um, I have seen several businesses make huge success out of the model you've just referenced, using BDRs as the talent bench for pretty much every go-to-market function. Um, and I think that's because the BDR role has so many transferable skills. And you learn so much so quickly. You know, you talk about the role of moving into customer success. There's not a role typically where you have more conversations with the ideal persona than the BDR role. And what better training to make customers successful than that? So I definitely think let's look for people who are valuable to the business. Yes, we want them to have the potential to become great AEs. If they want to do something different, though, I'm definitely not against against that um in terms of the progression and not having to replace every 12 months i tend to not think like that it's part of the game that that i've decided to be in that bdrs if i do a great job they're not part of my team for that long and i would that's a, that's an indicator to me that i'm successful in my role is if i they're not being managed by me for more than 12 months then i've helped them get their foot in the door and springboard their career to new heights and and that is essentially what my job is so that's a good thing in my eyes if I'm having to replace them every 12 months. Yeah. So long as they continue within your organization, right? <laughs> That's I mean, true. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, even if they go somewhere else, it's a, it's always a challenge though. You know, it's uh it's one of those things that it's almost like you're a college. I don't know if you follow, uh, you know, we've got our audience and all over the place split here, but you know, but in, in the U S the college, the college coaches, they always, especially the college basketball coaches, it's like you might have the best players for one year. How do you, how do you mold them and get them to the next level? It's kind of like you're the, uh, you know, the, the collegiate basketball NCAA uh, coach <laughs> yeah. there uh, with that mindset. You know, you got the best talent possible. Let's get them into that next, that's next level. Um, so I'm curious because this piece, this piece is always something that if you're a, maybe like a first time hiring manager, especially, but is there, is there anything that you've, figured out in your process when you're vetting uh this bdr talent that helps you differentiate high performers versus maybe someone who might not make it yeah yeah i think the to look at one sole attribute would be probably uh a mistake i've seen bdr successful bdrs and successful salespeople who are very different people and they fit very different molds so we've broken it down into to competencies um, and there's six of these. So persistence, coachability, craftsmanship, accountability, presence or gravitas and, and curiosity. Now, by weighing up an individual's skills versus those competencies, I think you set them up for success, but you also identify from day one, which ones are they weaker on? And therefore, where do we need to work with them the most? Where do we need to provide tailored coaching and support? And that is the key, that not everybody has to be great at everything, but you need to understand when you hire someone, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and where do I need to work with them from day one? Um, if you ask me to pick a competency that I think is the most important, though, curiosity would be my number one. And that is <laughs> just because solving people's problems is what sales is all about. And if you're not interested in those problems, it becomes really difficult to, to solve them. <laughs> Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna piggyback on that. You got ahead of me there. As I say, which one? Because that's like 
that's very detailed. That's way ahead of what most folks think about. But curiosity uh, is number one for you, uh, and and I think that that's uh, that's important. Why do you, why do you think some folks struggle with that element um, more so than others? Yeah, great question. I think that quite often you'll find people just wanting to work in sales and not really thinking about what they're selling and the company that they're working for. And you get like this lone wolf character who just wants to just to sell. And I I think that curiosity comes much more naturally to those who are interested and behind what the company that they work for is doing. And I would always advise this, if you want to break into sales, try and sell something that you care about, try and sell something that you're interested in, because curiosity comes with that naturally. And if you're selling something that you're totally like ambivalent towards, how are you ever going to be curious about it? And how are you ever going to be curious about the problems that your buyers have? It's just just not going to happen. So difficult. You know, that's, uh, it's one of the biggest challenges I see with folks and, uh, um, and you mentioned something that I think is interesting here because you said that you've got these six different things you're looking for. You're, you're identifying them in the in the the vetting stage. Once you start to onboard them, do you have like what does that process look like? Do you have a standard onboarding? But you mentioned there's some like custom training and yeah. coaching on those development assets. But what does that look like for you? How do you how do you get folks up to speed? Yeah, so we uh, based on those different elements. Yeah, we map out map people out on those competencies during the hiring process. So before they start, we have a good idea of where they are and how good they are at at each thing. The second part of that, so we do some pre-boarding, that's like bring you up to speed on everything to do with Jura and get you logged on and the admin out the way. (laughs) Nothing worse than when someone joins a company and they spend their first three days setting up their Salesforce login. Um, It it really, (laughs) that, that really like dampens momentum, I think. So the first two weeks that we that someone joins us, or the first three weeks actually, is, is quite intense training on the basics. We tend to hire BDRs who don't have a huge amount of BDR experience. Um, just that's how it's happened. That's not been a deliberate move up until this point. So that's the basics. Like what is a BDR? What do they do? And how do you use everything to help you do that? All the basic stuff we try and cover quite intensely and quite quickly during the first three weeks. And getting people to actually contribute value and do activities from the end of week one. So people will start reaching out to prospects via the phone, via email, via social at the end of week one with Juro because you don't learn until you start doing. Um, And also rapidly scaling SaaS company, we need people to get to value fast. The, The tailored element and the custom element comes following that. So we consider onboarding the first 90 days. And this is actually a Juro-wide concept, not just within the sales team. So every employee has a 90-day plan. That 90-day plan has milestones, focus areas, milestones, and then like a deadline. So you'll have lots of different milestones that will be needed to be complete by a certain day. And on your first day at Juro, you will join and you'll go over your 90-day plan with your manager and it will be tailored to address any gaps we notice during the hiring process. So if, for example, someone lacked a bit of gravitas or presence, there would be lots of coaching on on tone and pace and like tone of, of speech versus if they 
perhaps needed more help on the on the craftsmanship element and, and picking new concepts up quickly, we might do some some quizzes on product knowledge and competitive knowledge and, and really focus on on that because that's an area that they need more support. So the tailored aspects comes in the, the first three months and we do it by setting those 90 day plans, giving people like really clear and actionable milestones that they need to meet by day 30, day 60, day 90. And when it comes to the uh, uh, areas where you might see folks struggling, uh, do you have uh, any any early warning signs? Like, what are what are some of the things that that you might identify early where uh, a rep that looked like they were high potential might not be being you know, might not be getting there? Is there anything that you guys have that you've that's helped? I, I love that you get them actually into action within that first week, which is so vital. You're pulling at my heartstrings there, <laughs> but are there any, are there any like early warning systems, you know, as a, as a person who's ramped up some teams in the past, it's always, it's always challenging, especially you're in high growth mode. You know, you got this process, you got these systems, everything's pretty nailed, but anything you've noticed that uh, can help folks overcome some of those things that you might not be aware of, but you see as they're going through the process. Yeah. I think getting them to action quickly is is part of that because that what that enables you to do is you gather data on what they're doing from day one. Um, Juro's a very data driven company. I I do manage with some of my subjective experience as naturally every manager does, but ultimately if you start gathering data on what they're doing from day five, which is the end of of week one, then you can use that data from the end of week two and the end of week three. And by able to being able to leverage that, that's what's your early warning system is is consisting of. So, if it's persistence that is a is a struggle, you might see lower activity levels than expected. If it's gravitas and curiosity, it might be that they're booking lots of meetings, but none of those meetings are actually converting to opportunities. And that's where you need to focus on like discovery calls, and because that's where those competencies play out is on discovery calls. So I think by getting people to action quickly, you give yourself more data and you give yourself more data earlier on, which you can then use as your early warning system as, as such. Um, of course, there's there's got to be a focus on well-being as well. Um, this was overlooked, I think, when, in my experience, not by my manager per se, but when I first started, one-to-ones were, there was no opportunity to talk about like people's well-being and how they were feeling. And quite often, by making space for that and prioritizing that conversation, even if performance isn't the issue, you'll start to realize where people are less confident or they feel that they're not, they're not as strong, um, just by asking them how they are and, and actually focusing on is there any bits that you enjoy versus not enjoy? And then how can we support you on removing roadblocks to the the bits that you enjoy less? So that would be another thing I would highlight is like a real focus on, are you actually enjoying yourself and, and how are you? It's uh that doesn't come up often. I know it's coming up more and more, you know, we're, we're pretty more, we're more aware now than ever of, you know, mental health, giving people an opportunity to have their own space and whether that's through, exercise or other other things but um checking in and, and actually asking that question uh outside of your metrics and you know how you how you developing your script and your tonality and your pace and your activities all these things uh, but no how are you personally and uh that's that's uh that's that's a big big thing that we didn't see at least for in my career early no, on definitely uh, not ever coming up <laughs> <laughs> definitely not you know uh, 15 years ago that didn't come up very often uh, so <laughs> 
Uh, and, and I think that translates nice into this last question uh, around the hiring and managing of BDRs, which a lot of folks, at least in my experience, ask this often. So you, you talk about one thing that's different, which is, hey, let's just personally care about you. But are there any, any other things that you do around incentives? You know, sometimes everyone sees like coin, coin operated, but do you have any incentives for business development that you've used um, that seem, seem to work across the team or on an individual level that, that maybe other folks haven't seen in the past? <laughs> um, I think there's, there's definitely still an opportunity for a bit of healthy competition. I I like doing competitions amongst the team. I think they do, you know, naturally salespeople are competitive and they do drive results. One thing, and, and this wasn't my idea, um, this was very much the brainchild of our people and talent team and, and Thomas there, is giving people choice in what they in what they win in those competitions. And actually, like if you allow people to choose what their incentives is, uh, incentives are, that's going to drive them to want to achieve those much much more so i naturally gravitated towards the oh like let's do like a, a meal for two and thomas like challenged me and said but what happens if someone doesn't like going out for dinner because they're worried about covid or what happens if they've got no one to go with like they're not going to be that incentivized by that so actually sometimes setting a budget that they can spend on really whatever they want is a much better way to get engagement across the whole team versus a dictatorial like this is your incentive you should all compete for this thing that you may not actually care about or want that much um yeah so that that i think is a really nice idea is giving people giving people choice but then also just company-wide like having fair comp having great benefits having like a company that supports incentives across the whole organization obviously helps with that massively yeah well, I, I've, I've seen some stuff that's coming out around just the role in general, sales in general. There's some people that are debating about the idea of uh, it's like 50-50 comp and a lot of times it's maybe 70-30 or whatever. But, um, you know, having a, a, a compensation package that's fair across the board, not just in sales and sales development, makes a lot of sense. But um, when it comes to the competitions themselves, I love the idea of being, being able to choose. There's... Um, a really awesome program I saw in the past through Southwestern Consulting as a coaching business that I've worked with in the past. And they had like this point system and the points could then be used. And they had this whole like pamphlet and people could turn them in for literally, literally cash, which means you can use for anything. But then they could also just pick off of this chart, you know, coolers or iPods or whatever. Right. Um, it was, it was a really interesting way to do it. And that was the first time I, I thought about the idea that, oh, yeah, when I say this, um, you know, Amazon gift card, well, maybe someone would enjoy to like do an experience versus like having to buy something off Amazon. Exactly. You know, it's like, uh, it's it's so, so, so simple, but makes a lot of sense. Now you can get to somebody's uh, actual innate interest. I think it's the, um, um, the, the same psychology as like when you do like arcade games as a, as a kid. And they have those ones where they give you those little tokens and then you can go to the counter and you yeah. can choose. Now, all the prizes in, in those scenarios, they're normally rubbish, right? They're, they're worthless. They're worth yeah. way less than what you've plugged into those arcade machines. But that fact that you could like earn those those tokens and you could trade them in for whatever you wanted. I remember as a kid how like much you wanted, how much, how much, how many times you asked your parents for money to like put into those machines to get something that ultimately could have been purchased for that money about 
10 minutes ago. Like <laughs> it's an interesting piece of psychology, but when people have choice, they are going to be more incentivized to, to work towards that. I think. You're bringing back flashbacks, <laughs> uh, just pumping those, pumping those machines, hitting those buttons, trying to get the, the jackpot yeah. tickets. It's like, let's say, let's say, uh, spent my first time when I was old enough at a casino, I was like, man, they're, they're really <laughs> priming you young as a, as an adult, uh, to get into this. That's uh, so funny. Uh, but it is exactly how that works. You know, you get, you get your mind dead set on something that's available to you and you're going to work a little bit harder to try to accomplish that, even if there may have been a, a faster path, uh, otherwise. So I, I love that idea. Um, you know, I want to transition a little bit into outbound. You, you've got some interesting experience here. You know, you mentioned you're a part of a few groups, uh, and one of the things that you, you tout is your uh, your focus on the outbound, you know, methodology and strategies. I'm curious from your perspective, especially seeing it throughout these different roles too, because outbound is different, you know, whether you're a, an actual BDR, SDR, or selling for yourself or being a part of a leadership team. But how do you see the landscape of, of outbound changing? Um, I know there's a, it's always a loaded question, but over the next couple of years, I think, I think it's really interesting. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you see as the future of outbound. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, um, if I knew the perfect answer to this, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be a very lucky man, but I think that there's a couple of really interesting trends at the moment. I am personally very excited by the supposedly new advent of product-led growth which has actually been around in terms of freemium for years because i think a lot of companies are, are latching onto that that's the idea of that's how we grow a company and that's the only way now i see that from an outbound perspective as being an increased opportunity because the noise levels are going to drop um if you look at noise levels in terms of outbound through every channel they've gone nothing but up over the past 15 years um, I'm perfectly happy for plenty of startups to decide they don't want to do outbound and they want to take this self-serve model forward. Now, there's a lot of merits to the self-serve model. There definitely is. There's been some really successful companies. We use it at Juro as well. But for fairly high contract value products with complex sales cycles and lots of stakeholders, I still think outbound works. And I think channels that people reject work. I know you talk a lot about the phone and just the simple fact that picking up the phone does generate business. And if, uh, if product-led growth is going to be the reason that outbound noise decreases, then I'm all for it because that gives the companies and the people and the teams that want to do it and that strive to make outbound successful, even more opportunity to do that. And that to me is really, really exciting. So that's one sort of trend that I'm quite looking forward to in a way. Perhaps that's not, not everybody's opinion on, on product-led growth, but certainly from an outbound perspective, why I find it's quite exciting. Um, the second would... Re reduction in competition. Essentially. That's one trend you see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, particularly like from, an, from an outbound perspective, yeah. Because I think just way okay. more companies are trying to use different models. Um, decreased noise means lots more opportunity, um, I think. In terms of other, other trends, there's... A lot of talk of of like war, what warm outbound looks like, you know, things that aren't truly, truly cold. Um, I've never cracked this. <laughs> Maybe one of the reasons I'm appearing on podcasts these days is to try and crack it. But you see so many BDRs and sellers and, and people like yourself making 
huge success out of having personal brands and warming up every outbound activity that they do. I think that will continue. And I think that we've seen a lot of that in with companies that sell to salespeople and sell to marketing leaders. I think we'll start to see that across other verticals. So we sell to legal and, you know, in the landscape, you are seeing people with personal brands start to be really, really successful. Um, and that's quite unusual in a, perhaps an industry that's considered quite traditional. Um, yeah. So I think that that will continue and only go from strength to strength and those with you know, good personal brands and, and the ability to do warm outbound by people knowing who they are will be very successful. Um, and I, I think that those are probably the, the two main ones. Um, there's obviously then, and I think we, we might talk about this later in terms of technology, Yep. We're always so close to a technological a piece of technology revolutionizing the way we do do sales and do outbound. And there are there are going to be solutions that make things way more intelligent and probably change the game in the next couple of years. And I don't necessarily know what all of those are going to be. I'm hoping maybe maybe I can come up with one. That would be great. <laughs> um, but I think there's always potential there for for something to really change quite drastically quite quickly. Well, that's a, a great pivot here. I mean, are there any are there any advancements that you're seeing right now, whether it's tech or data, that is getting you excited, getting you closer to what that means? I mean, yeah. if you were to wave your magic wand and say, I would build something like this, what does that look like? And is there anything trending towards that direction right now? Yeah, there's definitely a couple. Um, from a slightly selfish perspective, I'm really excited by the technologies that like just rid the world of problems with CRM hygiene. <laughs> um, the likes of a, a Scratchpad, a Dooley, a Comtura, like all these companies trying to automate reps putting information into CRM systems. If someone really truly cracks that and gets that right and gets that to work every time consistently, I think that that's going to change the game for both reps and for, for leadership. Um, how many times have we all had conversations where, oh, you have an updated Salesforce? Oh, but it takes time to update. So and you just go backwards and forwards and you get nowhere. If someone can eliminate that, I think that that will be phenomenal. So that's probably the number one that, from a selfish perspective. I, I get excited by the concept someone can do that. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I'm in the process of trying to get more and more serious about the work I'm doing on my, my, my main organization and uh, bringing them sellers, et cetera, right now. And I'm terrible at CRM update. Like I always have it in my head. I, I've never been great at it as a leader. I know it's good. And I'm constantly searching for that one. It's funny. There's um, uh, my, my sales leader is like, Hey, you know, can you start at least using this, you know, the notepads that you could bring into meetings like a fireflies or something like that. And uh, I'm like, I, I just don't like recording. You know, I don't like that being in there. And some people are, are weird about it, but the stuff that he's saying it's pop, like they're, they're working on sounds so interesting. You know, if, if you had a tool like that, that actually worked, your conversation actually can, can actually start to update. That's the future of some of this stuff, which is kind of cool. Like definitely you can put phraseology inside of the conversation where it's like, you know, Oh, that's a great point. So that great point, anytime you say that's a great point or something like that, you don't want to get too annoying, but it could, it can highlight that cell and automatically put that into certain areas. Like that sounds super exciting now where, whether that works or not right now. I don't know, but you touched on something that's dear, dear to me. Yeah. Um, is there, is there anything else that that you see right now that, I mean, that you get pretty excited about? Um, or let's say, let's say, not now, but if you had a perfect tool, what is that? What does yeah. that look like for outbound? Like in a magic world for outbound, yeah. like what does that look like end to end for you? 
I think for outbound, like the the whole intent data stuff is really cool. It, it, it's really really interesting, like that we can start to target people where we know that they're a little bit further down the buying journey. There's obviously lots of conversation about you know eighty percent of the decision making process is made up before someone speaks to a uh, a sales rep. Now, I think the idea is that Outbound can try and intercept that a little bit closer and, and leave your team and your company in a better position to control those conversations and uh, to be at the forefront of someone's mind when they finally make that decision. So if intent data can allow us to come even further and like counteract the fact that get there at 60% rather than 80%, I think that that could, mm-hmm. that could revolutionize like Outbound teams. Um fairly substantially because at the moment they're still across lots of companies lots of activity that just goes nowhere imagine if you could focus all of that activity on companies where you know that this is whatever you're doing is is likely an active project game changer i mean that's that's the future state i don't know how much you follow um uh the concepts of um some of the things I talk about on the math of sales, but I based a lot. Of, I based a lot of that on um, a book that was written a few years ago, actually several years ago now. I'm dating myself. Uh, the Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. He talks about this idea of uh, a stadium pitch and then a buyer's pyramid. And the stadium pitch concept is like imagine you could get your entire audience. You know, your TAM or so the SAM. You know, the addressable market, uh, the one that you want to care about the most. But you get them all in there and you have the opportunity to pitch them all at once. And you start talking. Right? So this is this is an exercise around target message, but it's also just understanding how it works. And the audience can leave the, the audience can leave the stadium at any time as soon as it doesn't seem relevant to them. And you know what he goes on to say is that it doesn't matter what you're selling. You could be selling bananas or tires or you know SaaS uh, legal software, yeah. right? contract software. But um, there's 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 only so many things you can say to keep the most people in the stadium. So there's, there's a way to massage that message and keep intrigue and stuff like that. But if you really took that entire audience and broke it down, only 3% of that audience is buying right now. Uh, and then like 7%, they're open to it. So you've got that 10%. So you're saying like, all right, 80%, that makes a lot of sense. There's another 30% that aren't thinking about it right now. So there's, it's just not in their mind. Right. So, um, that would get you to 40% or 60%, like you're saying. Imagine if you could get into that that, that world of like the other piece of it, um, getting into there sooner. And then you got 30% that are not think or no, they're not interested, and 30% that don't think they're interested. So that's like 60% of that entire audience that no matter what you said right now, are gonna pretty much brush you off fairly quickly. Yeah. So in outbound, most most of the success is happening when you can somehow magically get to that three or seven, like three to ten percent. Yeah, that's when you know you've got like target message right. You can kind of just like they call them the layups or whatever. The magic then becomes that that thirty percent contract, that thirty percent that's not thinking about it at all. Well, how do you reach those folks? You know, how how do you get to them? Um, well, you have to go through. In order to get to the the thirty percent of the ninety, you have to go through. Two thirds of that with pain and frustration and agony and the things that suck about <laughs> outbound. Cause these people absolutely know they're not interested and don't think they're interesting. But like the holy grail might be like if you could get perfectly targeted into that 40% quadrant, 
that aren't thinking about it, but aren't in that don't or no, because you're not going to convince somebody that doesn't or no. I'm, I'm sorry, you just can't do it. But if you could get there, that's where the magic's made. And, and you know, that's to your point earlier, where when you use things like the phone or email or social one-to-one through the SDRs via outbound, that's where the opportunity lies. The challenge, of course, is like, how do you get, how do you get there? Um, yeah. Right now, it, you don't know until you have a conversation. You, you know, you can't, you can't really know unless you have a conversation, but maybe, maybe there's a way to get closer to that via intent and things like that. I think that's super exciting. Um, I don't know how, how I, I, I went down a pretty geeky path there for a minute, but, uh, <laughs> no, I think it's, but I, fa- I get fascinated by that, you know, like how do you tap into that 40%? Yeah. You know? I just, I just think it's, if you can do that, you can tweak your emails, you can tweak your scripts, you can, you know, change the LinkedIn message that you send, whatever you want to do. And we're always talking about fairly marginal improvements these days, I think. Um, there are things that you can do that can move the needle quite heavily, depending on the maturity of your, your outbound function. But getting like a, if you were able to target that 40% and just that 40%, what that would do to the number of meetings you book, the number of opportunities you create would be a way bigger swing than changing a couple of lines or the call to action in an email or um, rephrasing your, your cold call script or leaving more voicemails. It's, it's just going to be a way more impactful swing. Massive. I mean, think about that. It's uh, you're cutting out more than half of the stuff that's not going to happen anyway. Yeah. Half the, half the activity is gone. Half the conversation's gone. Half the, all the things that you're doing right now, and, and each of those have a conversion rate that that if you if you just cut out those, so you doubled each of those. If you doubled each of those, because you're now only spending your time, your activity on the one, and then when you get them, they're going to be two times more likely, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If that was the way to think about it, that's I mean, it is massive. We just we just launched a little calculator. We could go play that exercise later. Uh, it would be massive to, to double 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 just by cutting out the stuff ahead of time yeah um, i actually think i and- um i saw you you post about this the other day about if we come back to the talent and the hiring aspect of all of this of just how many open job roles there are for bdrs at the moment and that tends to be because companies see the only solution to this problem as being like throw more people at it um get through that 60 percent quicker by having more people work it but I think it, it would solve a lot of companies hiring problems, as you mentioned, I, I believe on LinkedIn the other day. Like what happens if you could actually have half the number of BDRs, but they'd be going out to the the people who actually are you can who the, who you can actually influence and you can convince to to have a conversation with you. Um and when you look at how many BDR jobs there are, you look at BDR salaries skyrocketing and comp plans skyrocketing, that could be huge for a lot of companies because Hiring's hard. It will always be hard. Um, and if you need to hire less to get the same results, that can be nothing but a good thing. I mean, from an organization perspective, absolutely. And, 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 and or uh, lots of things we talked about before, the, the, uh, the mental state, you know, what, is, what does the job look like if uh, I'm not having to spend half or more than half, six out of 10 times getting my teeth picked in? <laughs> What does that what does that do to the the job? Um, I mean, it's just there's a lot of a lot of things to think about there, and I think there's a there's some excitement around that piece. Um, you know, I want to I want to ask a little bit about all right, we're talking about maybe n- not like hey, could half, but let's get back to the people too. Like, are there any advice that you'd give to first time 
uh, BDR, SDR is trying to step up their game right now in the, in the lens of outbound. Yeah. Right. So you've got some, you got some ideas around, you know, getting better at, you know, the administrative tasks so far, maybe getting smarter about how to build your list. But, uh, those are things that I would take about anything specific. If you were a brand new SDR doing outbound today that you would advise for stepping up the game. Yeah. I, I think the number one, and having just talked about how you should manage based on data, um, I'm about to leverage some subjective experience for this piece of advice. Um, I've seen lots of brilliant, like people with lots of potential and like who could be brilliant at the job, go into a, a new BDR or SDR role and they'll just be up and down. They'll have a great week. They'll have a bad week. They'll have a great month. They'll have a bad month. And the thing that changed for me when I was doing that, and I, I actually had a conversation with yourself when it, when it happened um, about four years ago, I was like, I go from having a brilliant week, I put loads of meetings, have loads of conversations, and then I do rubbish the next week. And um, it was stunting my growth. It was quite stunting my progression. And it's to focus on consistency. Um, it's really hard because you've got to take a million things into account, like how you're feeling, like how big is your list, but make sure that you consistently trust the process and that you ex- execute in a consistent manner. Because when it comes to building pipeline, I think if you, you could create 10 opportunities this week, if you don't create any the week after, people are only going to focus on the weeks that you don't create opportunities. Whereas actually, if you create three every week consistently, and you do it over and over and over again, that's really what's going to make you stand out. I think consistent performers are, are rare and they're much more valuable than people who go up and down. And I was that person. I used to go up and down big time. I remember a time as a BDR where I booked like 20 meetings one week and then booked zero the next week. And the week after I booked like three and then I went back up to like 15. And that's just, it's like, yeah, when you book, when you have a great week, you're the talk of the town. Everybody loves you and, and you, you know, you think you're doing really, really well. But the week after it's, it's way worse. And it's all down to the fact that I wasn't consistently applying the process. I would do, I would work in like spurts and, and like lay everything out on the table and then not do anything for like three days. And um, I think ultimately, if you want to progress fast, consistency is almost more important than massive, massive overperformance. Pulling out my heartstrings, <laughs> Joe, right, right there. It's just, uh, it's huge. Uh, not about what you did yesterday. It's not about what you do tomorrow. I got that from Steve Richard long time ago, uh, the CEO of Warsight uh, and uh, Exec Vision uh, States. Um, There's a published, he does publish on like the top performing SDRs. And it, it wasn't about like these big sprints or these low sprints. It was consistent commitment to the inputs and knowing what that meant towards your outputs. Yeah. Yeah. You knowing know, you. A la. Knowing you. A la math of sales. Yeah. <laughs> and, and. And that's 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 where uh, this next one's from your perspective. What is the one metric that you look to most to actually predict outbound success? Is there something you you say if I see this consistently on this consistency, you know that this person's likely going to be successful? Um, I think it's it's difficult to pick like one metric. The one that shows me that someone's got potential is if they are like constantly doing like new activities and they're consistently do it putting in inputs 
because if, if you don't have that activity level and if people aren't doing the work, it's quite difficult to like turn that around, just be like, you need to do more. Like, I know that sounds like a really simple conversation, but sometimes if someone's not doing enough in the first place, making them do enough is hard. It also, if you do enough, you'll have the data to figure out exactly where you need to improve. So, you know, if you're, if you're making a hundred calls a day, but no, no, you're not booking any meetings, or you're not creating any opportunities, then you know you need to, uh, and you're connecting and you're actually speaking to say 30 people. I know that's, that would be a really strong connect rate, <laughs> but you, you're still not getting meetings and opportunities. You're, you know that you need to work on what you're saying and you need to work on your skills actually calling. But if you're not really making any calls, it's like, well, I don't actually know if you'd be any good on calls either. So I don't know where to coach you. I don't know what to to improve. So, you know, if if someone's activity levels are really low and what they're doing, what they're putting in, regardless of the quality of that stuff, isn't at a level where it needs to be, that can be a concern because you then don't have any of the data that you need to to help that person and to to coach them. But um, it's difficult to pick one metric because I think it, it differs from person to person. We talk about all those different competencies. I would have metrics aligned to the competencies that I have concerns about. So persistence, it would be like, what's your activity level? Curiosity, it might be, what's your sales qualified lead to sales accepted opportunity ratio to show, are you asking the right questions? Are you digging deep enough? Um, and I think you could align competent, like the competencies to different metrics, depending on what you're concerned about, but it'd be difficult to pick one. I like that. You could, you keep going back to the idea that everyone's a little bit different. Uh, and that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, something I'm slowly learning in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not everyone is the same. So, uh, it's, it's great. Um, so last question on outbound prospecting here, uh, any great content, you'd recommend for somebody to tune into listening to broadcasting in? I know there's different ways to consume content these yeah. days, but anything really, uh, really hitting the, hitting the nail on the head for you these days? Yeah. So this is a, this is a question I actually thought quite a bit about before because there is loads and loads of content out there. And I think a lot of it is, is fantastic. You know, I could say, like go and subscribe to, to sales hacker because I did that and I love most of what they, they do, but everyone knows that everyone's heard of, of, of that. And typically it's quite a well-known one. The piece of advice I give my team and therefore I wanted to bring up here is something I don't see BDRs doing enough <clears throat> is consuming the content of your buyers. Mm. I think that if you put yourself, Huge. truly put yourself in your buyer's shoes, truly start trying to understand their challenges and a great way to do that is to consume the content that they consume um i've actually started trying to create a little resource center for for my bdr team that is you know here's some great podcasts about in-house legal teams and the challenges that they face that you should go and listen to here's a great article and we have a fantastic content team here at juro that produce a lot of this stuff so i've got a bit of a head start here but like Consuming the content of your buyers would be my number one piece of advice to to BDRs specifically because I don't think people do it enough. Um, there's lo- loads of great sales content out there. I could say go and go and follow Ryan, um, go and follow Sam Nelson, go and follow Kevin Dorsey. Like all these like big names, they all produce brilliant content. But a lot of BDRs are doing that. Um, what people are doing less is really putting themselves in their buyers' shoes and, and consuming their content. That that's amazing feedback. You know, I think I we talk about this a lot, like understanding the problem and 
you know, understand your persona, et cetera, and maybe go talk with, you know, the person who owns that role within your organization, if you don't know anything about it. But that advice is so simple yet so powerful because everyone's doing this, right? I mean, we all these days want to go and learn. And if you could go and find the things that your buyer, I mean, that's, that's brilliant. I love that advice. Thank you. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's fantastic. I, I own, I'm, I'm going to I'll give you credit for it, but I'm going to steal that. <laughs> give a lot of people that advice. It's really good. Um, yeah. I, I just like, it's just not something I don't see people doing a lot of. And I think it's one, one thing when one example of where you do see it actually is you see companies that sell to sales leaders, their sales team are by nature of the beast, consuming the content right. of their buyers and look at how successful it makes them. Look at Cognizant right. sales team, look at the sales team at Gong. Like these sellers are the people who are like, they understand their challenges. And it's actually why these sales teams, you see so many sales tech products, their revenue their growth is explosive. And I would put some of it down to the fact that their sales teams innately understand the challenges that the, of the people that they're selling to, because they do the same role and they consume the same content. Um, and if you can yep. replicate that in other markets, I think it, it would be really impactful for a lot of businesses. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I, uh, I talk about this a lot because I, I did pay-per-click advertising as my first role, you know, we had a pay-per-click platform. And so I, I was always consuming marketing content and then, you know, the marketing demand gen stuff translates so well into sales development. It's just why I focus so much there because it translates so well, but I know that like the back of my hand, because it's what we did. You know, we, we, we offered that as a service. I was learning it. I was going to trade shows. I was listening to the speakers, but we were also selling to that audience. So it was quite helpful. Yeah. Um, it can be, that's why I love this advice. Like it can be challenging. Like you said, you're legal professionals. What do you do? Well, there's still content out there to go learn those things. That's brilliant advice. I just absolutely love it. Um, so as we, we get wound down here and I know we're coming up on our, our time here, John, I want to be respectful of yours today. Um, any career advice, you know, recent red career, career advice or recent grads, especially right now with the pandemic. I know we talked about it early on more opportunity than ever, maybe folks that never even thought about this profession, but what advice would you give someone that's actually looking to get into this role for the first time? They've, yeah, they've got that crazy mindset that, Oh my, you know, I want to go and be a pipeline generator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, think carefully about the type of organization you want to join and with a primary focus on like, how adaptable are you? Um, I think I benefited a lot from starting in a big company. Um, like I'm talking a Gartner company with like 5,000 salespeople. Um, the reason I think I benefited a lot there is because I was a bit chaotic and I wasn't very process driven. And if I joined a startup that was also chaotic, that would have been, well, I'm, who knows? That would have been pretty, pretty bad, I reckon. And... I think if you pick the type of company based on, like try and be self-aware, try and know what you're good at, what you're not, and pick um, a company that, that suits that, particularly when it comes to size. If you need to, if you don't feel that organized, you feel quite chaotic and you're the, perhaps the stereotypical salesperson who loves talking to people and building relationships, maybe go for a company with a slightly more mature function, just so that you know that they'll have a process in place that you can really follow. Now, if you love to build and you love to create, then a much smaller company, a much earlier stage company is, is a great idea. So pick your type of company correctly. Try and sell something that you're interested in, relating back to the curiosity, and make sure you vet them. Um, realize that you hold a lot of power at the minute. 
by wanting to be a prospective BDR or SDR. We've talked about the number of roles available. We've talked about the opportunities available. Make sure that you vet the company properly. Um, find out what their their run rate is. Find out, you know, um, all the ins and outs of, of how they treat their staff. Read their Glassdoor reviews. Like, really do a thorough job because there are still sales teams out there that aren't brilliant and their cultures aren't great. And I don't. Th- I think a lot of people get put off after six months in a in a bad sales team, and they they don't come back. And I think we lose talent that way as well. So, yeah. Pick the company based on where you know your weaknesses are, or not weaknesses, but your areas for improvement are. Make sure you try and sell something you're interested in. And then lastly, make sure you vet the company properly. Brilliant, Joe. The last question, which we have for everybody on this uh, show I've seen in the past now, and I've got to ask it here, is if you had an extra, and this is interesting to me because I'm always trying to do the calculations, 50,000 pounds to invest in your <laughs> business development team, how would you spend it? Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a couple of different things. I, I'm currently, if, well, I'm having first conversation with a couple of like dialer software. So I'm looking at tools like Connect and Sell and stuff to try and make us way better at, at calling. We don't use calling enough. We don't get as much out of it as we should as a channel. Um, so there's a chance I'd spend it on something like that. And then perhaps some of the technologies that we've talked about, you know, if I, we don't actually use um, a product that helps us automate that CRM hygiene piece. Um, So if I had 50, 50 K, would I have a go given how exciting I find it? Yeah, probably. And again, we, we do actually use some intent data through, through Cognizant, um, but not a lot. And we haven't really invested into like figuring out if that can work for us. So I might explore there as well. So I think it, it relates back to a lot of what we talked about. Love it. Maybe some more incentives too. <laughs> more yeah. Well, I, I'm pretty, pr- I'm pretty proud of the incentives and the comp plan and the benefits package that we have uh, at Juro. And I think actually a lot of our benefits and, and comp and stuff is company wide. Um, and it, it's, I'm pretty proud of it. And I, I've, think it's very very fair across the whole company not just within the sales team um so that perhaps wouldn't be my number one area of concern at at this point but yeah why not a few more competitions is always is always good yeah that's fantastic hey joe thank you so much for uh joining us today being my first uh victim i mean (laughs) guest on the revenue champions uh podcast uh if folks wanted to reach out to you get in touch with you. I know you're a pretty open networker. Yeah. What's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. So either drop me a note on, on LinkedIn. Um, it's just Joe Porter. I'll, I'm sure there'll be a LinkedIn link or a tag and somewhere along this, this episode, or just drop me an email, uh, joe at juro.com. Fairly, fairly simple. Particularly if you're interested in being a BDR at London's best startup to work for, according to Tempo this year. So, uh, yeah, oh. particularly keen to hear from any applicants. <laughs> There we go. If you're looking for a job, you shameless, heard it. shameless Here. plug. <laughs> it sounds like a phenomenal, phenomenal company, phenomenal leadership and uh, the right mindset. So um, if you're looking for a job, uh, Joe's hiring. <laughs> Joe, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you really so much for having time. me. Cheers, Ryan. Cheers.